Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to Genuine Humans podcast. And as always, I'm here with the fabulous Wendy Christie. Wendy, how are you doing? Hey, Tamara. I'm very good. Thank you. Very excited, not only about our guest today, but also about our online Christmas party this afternoon. So I'll be quickly putting on a, an elf hat uh, when we finish <laughs> <Yes>. this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. We're having t- two virtual events. And interestingly, because we're not having a, an event in London, but it's actually much more inclusive for the team because we've got people based all around the world that they're all able to attend the two virtual parties instead. So that will be fun. And talking of fabulous guests, as you mentioned, We are delighted to be joined today by Jane Mitchell, who is the founder of Jane Plan. Welcome, Jane. Well, thank you very much for having me, especially on a Christmas party afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Jane, I would love it if you could share more about Jane Plan, first of all, but also then we'll take you a little bit backwards. It'd be good to find out how you got to where you are now and, and feel free to sort of go back as far as you like in your career. But but first of all, just tell us more about Jane Plan. So I started Jane Plan in 2010. I actually started it um, in the summer of 2010, but officially we started in October 2010 because that's when I had the, um, the nows to actually think I might need an accountant. And my accountant advised me that I really should start in October 2010 when the business bank account was set up to correspond with me trading. So not <laughs> wanting to do anything wrong, we started in October 2010. And um, I was completely on my own at first. Um, I was well, completely all solo for a couple of years, actually, bar my lovely cleaning lady, actually. So I was busy packing a chain plan box one day and she was busy mopping the floor. And she said, what are you doing? I said, oh, my gosh, I've got to get this box out to a customer. She said, you know what? I'll pack the box. You go back to your computer. And, <laughs> um, and Alex actually went on to become my warehouse manager in charge of 20 people a few years later. So oh, that's um, fantastic. Yeah. So we grew and grew and grew um, over the last 11 years. Um through all sorts of medias and marketing and all sorts of things, but mainly at the beginning, just through good old-fashioned word of mouth. Mm. And what sparked, I mean, you said that you you sort of started it and then you just needed to get your accountants in place, which is very, very important. <laughs> but um, why Jane Plan? Why, uh, you know, what, what kind of connected you to, to the idea? And, you know, do you have a, a real love of food? What, what's, what's the story? Well, I'm like everyone, I have a real love of food. Yeah, well, there's kind of two prongs to the story, to be honest. So the first prong actually goes back quite a long way to when I was in my early 20s. And given I'm now in my mid-50s, we are talking over 30 years ago. And... Um, I you know, graduated from university, I was living a, a fun life in London, this is also the late 80s, and, um, and I was 
drinking too much, eating too much. And I basically just was, I was kind of the fat friend. (laughs) I was the one, you know, I always look around at all the girls who were getting ready for a night out. And I was always the one kind of not feeling quite so comfortable in my clothes. And so I, in effect, put myself on a little bit of a sort of weight loss journey. Um, And in the late 1980s, you know, you could say you were going on a diet and you could chat with your friends, I'm on a diet. Like it was like a, a thing that people talked about. People don't talk about that anymore. It's really interesting. And in effect, I put myself on a diet and it worked. And I'm more or less within about four or five pounds the weight I am now that I was when I actually finished that. I think it was about 1989, 1990 I did that. So a bit of a personal experience there. But from a professional perspective, I had retrained once I'd had my three children as a nutritionist. And I worked in a London hospital dealing primarily with bariatrics and that's gastric band and gastric bypasses mm-hmm. it's people who are really troubled with weight and I guess lead on top of all of that is an absolute fundamental love of food just like everybody but I love I love everything about it I love the occasion I love the taste I love the cooking so I know how hard it is particularly if you love food if you want to try and maybe be the healthiest weight you can be and that looks different for everybody by the way and and so you mentioned about that people in back in the sort of 80s maybe 90s used to talk about dieting and what's changed and and how does that impact on on from a marketing point of view as well yeah I mean it's really interesting isn't it I mean diet is the all-time four-letter word now it's the absolute Mm. ultimate dirty word but it really wasn't like that when I was in my teens and 20s and in fact even when I was in my early 30s you know you'd have a baby no go on a diet now it was like normal whereas now there's some sort of shame associated with losing weight and I actually find this really confusing because I absolutely endorse and love the body positivity movement absolutely of Mm. course we should be positive about our bodies it doesn't matter what our shape or what our size is but I think what's kind of happened is health and appearance have got a bit blurred and a bit confused and really the reason we should want to be a healthier weight is for our health but actually what tends to happen is it gets confused with, oh, I want to be beach body ready. I want to look good in a little black dress. Actually, it's often the furthest thing from people's minds. Mm. Um, and I think because of the body positivity movement, which is a very positive and good thing, and this kind of other side of it, oh, well, if you want to lose weight, it must be, must be because, you know, maybe you just want to look better. We've sort of lost, we've lost the real reason why we want to be a healthier version of ourselves is the truth. Yeah. And that's why I think diet's a bit of a dirty word, because I think people think it's a it's sort of a bit self-indulgent, not really not being feeling proud of yourself. It's not and it's it's often very much misused as well. So people say things like now, I want to eat a bit healthier, I want yeah. to do this, I want to do that. And then it's a bit like pornography, isn't it? It's one of the world's most Googled words and they do it in the secret <laughs> of their bedroom. It shouldn't be like that. We should be there to support people when they want to make a journey, whatever they want. You know, they might want to put on weight, they might want to train for a marathon, so have to alter their eating patterns. We need to move away from it being, you know, a secret, a secret thing. Yeah. And it's it's such a, a great thing that you're doing. But, you know, you said that you started on your own and you sort of had to learn on the job and, and keep keep building. What kind of support were you getting along the way? Well, actually, very little, if I'm really, really honest, apart from my amazing children, who I have to say have been my cheerleaders and champions throughout um so I started completely on my own I've been working in the hospital up to the point I started the business I had literally virtually zero business experience I mean as as you know as, as the bank account and the accountant story says I mean the idea of you know 
I knew I basically had to bring more in than I was selling and I was taking out of the bank account. That seemed to be a fundamental I worked on. But no, I, I, it was very much my decision to do it. And um, I was too scared to go and get like a business loan or anything. I, I just mm. thought, oh, God, it'll never work. You know, I was just too long in the background and see what works for me. So I didn't actively seek support. So I don't want to say people didn't support me. It's more that I sort of made it a bit of a loner journey in the beginning. And I... I think it might have been fear of failure. Mm-hmm. Like if you go to someone and say, oh, I really need support with this, and then it doesn't work, it's a bit embarrassing. Whereas if I didn't really tell anybody or do anything, I only had myself to be accountable to, I suppose. I can really relate to that as well. And sometimes it's about, you know, not knowing what you don't know as well. You know, I, I know that I I started mine, uh, well, we're going to be 20 next year. Wow. And, and you do make all sorts of, I don't like to say mistakes, but you're kind of learning on the job and you and you just have to go, oh, I didn't realise that. And yeah. I mean, I've got all sorts of stories about how when I was sort of signing first contracts with um, major brands and we didn't actually have lawyers to check our contracts. Yeah. And I, I used to have to just sort of sit on it for a couple of days and say, oh, I'll, I'll just get my lawyers to check that <laughs> and then send it out a couple of days later <laughs> because yes. it looked like we, you know, we actually did have lawyers. Obviously, a lot has changed now. But, uh, but yeah, you do have to just kind of find your own way a little bit, don't you? Yes, and also I started off so small that actually, you know, I, I was at the point where I was actually cooking all the food, delivering the food in the back of my Volvo <laughs> and, and also being the nutritionist on the end of the phone, supporting people. I mean, we were very, very small then, but what happened very quickly into the sort of evolution of the little tiny business was um, the Daily Mail kind of picked up on my story and they ran a feature. What was so funny is I didn't have a website. It's unbelievable to think now you wouldn't have a website. <laughs> um, but in, in the back end of 2010, I didn't have a website and they published my home phone number in the Daily Mail. <laughs> Oh, wow. If you're interested in Jane Plan, call this number. <laughs> and sure enough, the phone started ringing. And then I thought, oh, gosh, I better get a bit more professional about things. Um, yes, but I, I continue to work from home on my own, for, apart from Alex, my lovely, my lovely lady, who helped with all the sort of packing of boxes and things. For a couple of years, it got to the point where we'd have pallets of food delivered to our street. We lived in a we lived in a residential like Victorian Terrace Street in London, and they're all over the country. And I used to time the delivery of the pallet with the school run because then I'd have three children to help me count and clear the pallet, and I wouldn't be taking a parking space up for too long. <laughs> so yeah, it got to the point that I did eventually have to um, um, get an office in a little warehouse. Though yes. So you mentioned those graduate days in London, which sounds like a lot of fun. Can we go back even further in your journey than that? Because I'm interested in exploring how what we're like as kids shapes where we end up um, in our careers as adults. So what were you like when you were little? I was a complete goody two shoes. <laughs> I was always the one, you know, when in, I don't know if children even do this anymore, but you know, the teacher would say, bring the maths books up now. And I was always wanted to be first in line with all the right sums. And <laughs> so I was an absolute toe the line people pleaser and a real goody two shoes. Although I think my parents were probably sad. I wasn't quite like that in my teenage years. And I think they thought I was quite naughty in my teenage years, but they were very strict. So, you know, <laughs> what was naughty to them wasn't naughty to me. <laughs> and when you look back, do you see traits in yourself then that are still true today? I definitely am an all time people pleaser. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely not naughty anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
quite like to be naughty sometimes, but I, I'm a responsible lady in my mid-50s. I can't be naughty. Um, <laughs> I think that's a perfect time to be yeah, naughty. <laughs> maybe this is the moment. <laughs> so I think probably that, do, and also always want to be like, get it right and be the best, yeah. you know, like all my math sums are all right, etc. A little bit of that. Although I weirdly, I would not describe myself as particularly competitive. So... I don't know if that all makes it sound like I'm a bit of a mishmash of a person, really. <laughs> I think we probably all are, Jane. Yeah. And if you were living your childhood dream, what would you be doing now? Well, I really, really wanted to run a hotel and restaurant. And that dream has evolved over the years, actually. I used to, when I, I used to work as a teenager, I think teenagers can't even do this now, but I used to work in the local pub when you're age 14, pulling a pint. I'm sure you're not allowed to do that anymore. Um, but in the back end of nowhere, you definitely were in the mid 80s. But I used to love that kind of serving people, preparing food, offering people drinks. That's an almost hospitality thing. And I loved being around food. And then as I've got, as the sort of years went by, my sort of, my dream evolved into a bit of a Mamma Mia type scenario, a kind of little hotel in Greece, you know, lovely golden, you know, gorgeous beaches, Asian sea, and my daughter helping me as we serve delicious Greek cuisine. That's never quite left me, that sort of little desire to do that. I suppose you you kind of are doing that, but just on a different scale, kind of in a, in a, in a different format. You're yes. Feeding yes. the nation. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's absolutely right. Yes, yes. You talked with Tamara a couple of minutes ago about how you were kind of a bit of a loner, I suppose, on your journey and not not really seeking help in, in in those early days of building Jane Plan. But, you know, I guess there must have been some genuine humans somewhere along the yes, lines who've absolutely. helped you along the way. And I have to say one of the... If I feel I still need to overcome this barrier, but I feel like I had a massive lack of trust of other people. So I was like, only I can do it. Obviously, only if it's down to me, it's fine. But if I give this to somebody else, it goes wrong. And, you know, what will happen? But absolutely. So there's the wonderful Alex. Um, she actually now lives in Belgium. So um, who really was my guiding light, always the sensible person, always the practical person. Nothing was too much trouble. And then um, I then... Uh, one of my girlfriends, my, my mum friends, told me her daughter had graduated from Edinburgh and was a bit of a loss, didn't know what to do. And I said, oh, it's always a job at Jane Plan. <laughs> and Fiona, um, Fiona, who now lives in San Francisco and works for a very well-known subscription company, she joined me, I think, in 2014. And, you know, she's like my other daughter. She was an incredible person to work with. Um, she was a young girl. I really like working with young people. They bring so much to the party. So she joined me at age 22. She stayed with me until she moved to San Francisco a couple of years ago. And so much of the success of Jane Plan is down to Fiona, I have to say, and those fresh ideas and that innovative thinking and that can-do attitude and just being great fun to work with. But I suppose I'm more kind of like, you know, mentor model, I guess. Mm -hmm. I never really had a mentor, but there are some people I always look at and think, that's what I need to be like. That's what that's mm-hmm. the person. And one of them is a lady called uh, Cheryl Giovanoni. And she is now the head of the Girls Day School Trust. I think I've got that right. At the time, she actually worked in an advertising lady. But she was such a strong, clear-sighted, no BS woman and I just thought if I could be anything like as strong as Cheryl, I know that 
my business will thrive. I think she was just incredible. So, so I wouldn't say she ever been a formal mentor, but whenever I talk to her or see her, I always leave, leave, I leave the meeting or the conversation or the drink or whatever, just like as if a weight has been removed from my shoulders, but I don't really know what it's about though. It's not, I don't really see her for specific advice. It's more like chatting about the world and the business, of course. Maybe you can ask yourself, what what would Cheryl do when you're um, up against a problem? She would be a lot more decisive than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Probably slightly less emotional about it, certainly on the surface, but maybe not underneath. And she would be much more fearless than I am. Um, And I really admire that in her. Yeah, I need to be a bit more fearless, but she'd be a bit more courageous, I think. I think we could all do with a little Cheryl on our shoulder, actually. I think <laughs> yeah, <that's>... we could. <laughs> and I always think it's it's something, you know, you, when you start your own company and you become a, a leader, but you can often often sort of change your leadership style. What what have you learned about yourself and your, your leadership style over the years? I am best leading when I'm leading people who are completely on the same line as me, completely on the same road as me. Kind of get how I'm thinking and I get how they're thinking. And they don't, that doesn't mean they have to do what I say at all. In fact, I actually prefer if that doesn't happen. I like, I love feedback. I love conversations. I love listening to other people. If I have to lead, stroke, manage someone who's not quite on the same road, I, I, I find it really hard to bring them onto the same road. I don't know why. Mm. I don't know... I think I'm a bit sort of too, I'm so passionate about the business and what we do. I feel like if you don't share that passion, it's it's almost like if it's not innate within you, I'm not going to be, I don't, I don't feel I can inspire to that degree. I feel, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so I think I'm a, I'm a good leader. <laughs> they're easy to lead. <laughs> I'm not a very good leader if they're not so easy. <laughs> That's it. Fair enough. Yes. Fair enough. And I, I want to go back to that whole uh, thing. I'm, I'm sort of fascinated because you had your own uh, weight loss journey that, that you shared, but also you are the face of the brand. You are the founder and, you know, it's, yes. it's, it's Jane Plan. How does that differ from uh, other brands? I'm, I'm just sort of really fascinated on on what are the, the pros and cons and does it mean that you, there is no... Uh, escaping work, for example, and you know, I, I just I'd love to hear more about you being at the absolute face of the brand. Yeah. So, um, in terms of not being able to escape work, I, I, I yeah, I mean, it's it's my it's the baby that never sleeps. It's the mm-hmm. one that gets up all through the night. It's the one that you know you're going to go on holiday, and it's always you know you're there at the airport <laughs> tapping away <laughs> on your phone. Oh, I'm quite done with this yet. So. There's that side of it, but I also partly think that's possibly why we've been fortunate enough to be successful mm. and that kind of absolute passion for, for what we do. I mean, I hand on heart, and I'm not suggesting everyone has to believe what I believe, by the way, and I know there are huge opinions in this area. I hand on heart believe in what we do and the authenticity of how we help people. Mm. people. It's absolutely my mission to put people in a position where they can get to a place where they feel happier with themselves and with their health and more comfortable and that looks different things to different people 
And I truly believe that by giving them the food, which is what we do, we take away an enormous burden of life. Mm. But at the same time, I truly believe that the support we offer is really, I really think it's great. When I listen to our behavior change psychologist talking, I was like, yeah, God, yes, yes, I must do that. Yes, I must remember to do that. And when I hear our fitness professionals talking, I was like, yes, I must move more. I must do that. And so I really hand on heart feel that we are out there to do good which is why it's so hard because we're kind of in the diet space and that is not perceived as doing good. If if anyone in my business ever says anything along the lines of, oh, well, you know, it'd be really great if people lost weight and then came back to us. I'm like, they don't have a job in our mm. business. They would be out of the door so quickly. That is not what we're about. We are genuinely here to make life better, whatever that looks like to each individual person. And I'm going to guess, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the last couple of years with people in in lockdown and people experimenting more with uh, ordering food online, um, have you found that more people have been excited about trying what you do? Yeah, so it's quite it's been very interesting. So you know, obviously we all very sadly went into lockdown. Like once we. COVID came, that was the sad bit. The lockdown had challenges. Um, it was absolutely the right course of action. Um, the People came to us for two reasons, interestingly. There was a panic on the, on, in the world about, where do I get my food? How can it be delivered? I don't want to touch anything. I just need mm. to come to the door, left on the door, sit, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so we had a whole new cohort of people who basically said, well, I've always thought about being a bit healthier and now is the perfect moment. And so I don't think they had didn't come and say, oh, I want to lose two stone. They came wanting just food to be delivered to the door. And the side, the side story was actually it's also good, healthy, nourishing, perfectly balanced meals. But then we also got another cohort of people, but just more of them than normal, where I think people started to actually worry about their health for the first time in probably quite a long time. We have a genuine belief in the 21st century that medicine can cure anything. It doesn't matter. You know, you know that tablet, that injection, sort it out. Something, suddenly something came along that actually maybe there wasn't quite such a straightforward answer to. And I think it put healthy living back on the agenda mm. and people started talking about it more. And yes, yeah, so we had another cohort of people who came for that reason that they genuinely wanted to start investing in their health. I know that I was moving less, you know, yes. I, I do uh, exercise at home and, um, but, uh, but yes, just by not getting out of the home and wandering around more or commuting into the office. Yes. Yes. You just became so painfully aware of how little you move if you don't yes, leave I, the house. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. If you start counting your steps and you haven't been out all day, and especially if you live in London, like I do, and your garden is about as big as most people's dining room table. I mean, you know, you can really have got very very few places you can actually go to that's so true i also think it's about how we spend our money interestingly because you know when you're looking at your monthly budget you might think oh i'm going to spend x amount percentage going to the pub and out to dinner with friends and a bit on clothes and a bit of cost of living and a bit of a supermarket shop and of course we weren't spending our money on clothes um we might have been buying a few leggings and things and um, we weren't obviously eating out at all although i think the likes of the sort of deliveroos obviously did very well and I think people started to think, well, actually, I've got, I'm going to actually start investing that money back in myself now. Mm. Um, so I think it changed people's mindsets very slightly. Whether that was a conscious thing or not, I, I don't really know, actually. But that was, I was certainly talking, I still talk to all of our people on the phone, all of our members on the phone. So I get to hear what they have to say. So yeah, but that's certainly people started saying, I think it's time to invest in me. So yes, that's interesting. 
So Jane, this is the part of the podcast where we get a little bit more personal and we've got some quick fire. I'm not going to say lightweight questions, but... <laughs> well, you, you haven't heard them yet. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your idea of a perfect weekend? Are there any guilty pleasures we need to know about? Um, my perfect weekend would probably be a takeaway curry on a Friday night with currently watching Succession but actually I think Sex and City 2 is coming back so that's obviously going to have to be the one. So I hear yes I'm excited about that. I love a bit of light entertainment I have to say and then get up Saturday morning I love walking my dog I'd love to ideally walk my dog with a friend probably I find if you're walking the dog with a friend and you can't actually not looking at each other you can actually have some very intimate chats and it can be different to having a coffee with someone. And then I'd like to come back and have a lovely breakfast with all of my family. And then just the weekend would evolve like that. And then I'd probably Saturday night, um, maybe, maybe go out Saturday night, maybe not. I love being at home. I love cooking. So probably cook some delicious meal for my family. And then Sunday, again, out and about. I love being outside. I love walking. I really love walking. I might fit a workout in all of that as well somewhere along the lines and then maybe a bit more cooking no shopping hate shopping (laughs) (laughs) I know what you mean well that does sound like a nice weekend Mm. on a completely different note have you had in your life a worse job you don't have to name names but you know feel free well, I've had two worst jobs. When I was a student once, I got a job in a cling film factory. <laughs> You're the first person I've ever met who's worked in a cling film factory. And my job was like rolling the cling film onto the like the cardboard tube thing. And I was literally dreadful at it. I think I might have even got fired. Um, so that was I, I can't even take it off the roll properly. No. So I don't, God knows how I'd get on doing that. But probably my very first job when I left university, I went to work in an advertising agency. And it was clear within about three months that I was not suited to this and they were not suited to me. And we we had an amicable parting of the ways. I really feel I managed to just walk before they pushed. (laughs) (laughs) I just hated the really cutthroat kind of chest puffing environment I thought I don't like this at all why did I think I'd like appetite this is a terrible idea I must leave (laughs) so off I went (laughs) moving on to a completely different area then karaoke one of my favorite things Uh, for anyone who knows me knows that I bang on about this all the time and Wendy is a big fan as well I am indeed (laughs) so it sounds like you are as well so do you prefer solos group songs or not doing karaoke at all I'm definitely the group song. I, I mean, if you could hear me sing, you would. I'm doing everyone a favour by not going solo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love a good sing along. Yeah, absolutely. But groups, groups or du- duets would be the minimum number of people. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And if we think about the last two years uh, that we've been in uh, lockdown, are there any changes that you've made that you actually think? Do you know what I want to continue doing that? Whether it's work, personal, anything. I took up yoga in lockdown, Ooh, which well I'd always been a bit sort of, I haven't got time for yoga. You know, if I'm going to exercise, I've got to use that hour very, very usefully. If I'm just spending half it in a downward dog, that's not a good use of my time. I'm bound to be texting. But um, I had more time in lockdown, of course. Um, so I took up yoga and I love, I love doing that. But I suppose the one thing I started doing a lot more is walking a lot more. Fun. Having said how sedentary, well, sedentary we all were, mm. I was fortunate enough to have a dog. And instead of just whizzing him around the park, I would just go on really, really long walks. And, and in fact, that's where the meeting a friend thing came from. Because when we were allowed to meet people, I would meet someone and we'd be sort of, I can't remember what the distance was apart, but let's say six foot or something. And we'd be sort of walking along the river and we'd have really, really, really 
incredibly open conversations, six feet apart, not looking at each other. And I thought there's something in this actually, that, that refreshing feeling of walking, being outside, one with nature, and but also having quite an intense conversation. It's something that you wouldn't have elsewhere. I remember that that time that you're describing when we couldn't sort of, you know, get too close and it was very much, yeah. you know, distance but walking. I remember walking with a, an amazing agency founder, uh, Katie Howell of Immediate Future. And we walked, I think we walked for about three hours yes. and it didn't feel like that at all, but you're just kind of putting the world to right. But uh, yes. it's, yes. yeah, you're, you're right. You can have some really good conversations just walking side by side. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there was probably this not having been allowed to do something when we were allowed to do it again, we appreciated yes. it more. And I, I would never walk my dog with a friend, but I, I did do it a few times after we were allowed to. Yeah. The dog just didn't like it. She just oh. came home. <laughs> well, you're not giving the dog enough attention, no. maybe. No, she didn't like me talking to my friend. She's That's like, right, I'm off. That's quite funny. <laughs> so if, uh, if Tamara and I could gift you an extra hour every day, how would you like to spend it? Yes. Do I have to just choose one thing? No, no. I either spend it with my children, just doing whatever. It doesn't really matter. Cooking together, chatting together. Or I would spend it just with my husband. Probably, just probably over a glass of wine. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, if, if it was like the perfect world, I'd probably say, well, actually, what I really like to do is ski for an hour a day. But I am sitting here in southwest London and think that's a bit fanciful. But if, <laughs> if it was a sort of desert island disc scenario, not that I'm ever going to go on that, of course, I'm not suggesting I'm in anything like that league. But and it was a total fancy land. I probably would say I'd like to uh, I'd like to ski for an hour a day. <laughs> Okay. And how do you think your friends would describe you? And how would you like them to describe you? I'm always the person that people spills the beans to. They, you know, if, something, if someone's got something to say, or they want to share something that I'm, I'm quite a bit confident for quite a lot of people. So I think people say I'm very open, very welcoming, very friendly. They probably say she likes a glass of wine a bit too much. <laughs> 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 And I guess that's kind of how I'd like them to see me. I live in a slightly like odd situation. I don't live in this odd situation, but I have a lot of female friends who don't work and largely haven't worked since they were married. I don't know how normal this is or not. So I know, like I go to my book group and, you know, I'm like an, a, an enigma. They're like, oh, gosh, she's going to be late because she's in a meeting. <laughs> People are late because the vacuum cleaner's broken or or they're busy doing something else or I don't know, um, waiting to do whatever. So I'm it's slightly weird that actually, not having many female friends who work. So I think, I think they, I don't know, I don't know what they feel about that. Um, I'm also the most unreliable, of course, because I've always got a business meeting to go to. So maybe, maybe they think I'm a bit... I don't want to sound like I'm sort of completely like, oh, well, God, they think I'm great, you know. <laughs> um, they probably think I'm a bit unreliable because I do cancel quite often is the absolute truth of it because of work. Let's say busy rather than unreliable. Yes, I think busy. That's very busy. I am very busy. <laughs> and is there anything that you've always dreamed of doing that you haven't done yet? I love traveling and my desire and lust for travel has increased during COVID because of course I can't do it and everything anything yeah. you actually want to do it gets much, much, much more, much greater, doesn't it? When you can't do it. So I would love to take a year off 
put my backpack on and go. I don't really like luxury travel, actually. I like like backpacking down to basics, really seeing places and just tra- go to all the far-flung corners of the world that I've never been to, which are many, actually. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I'd love to, go to, love to go to India. I'd love to explore more of the sort of Indonesia and Asia and those areas. Love to go to South America. Um, never been to those places, so I'd love to do that. Well, I think maybe you just open up offices in all of those places. This is true. And then yes. you get to go and see them, grow the company. Yes. Yes, yes. I mean, the CEO turns up with a backpack and my shorts on. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, well, Jane, it's been such a delight talking to you today. Oh, and before you. we before we stop, is there anything that actually you wished that Wendy and I had asked you or if there's anything that you want to sort of have some closing thoughts? I think I, I, I don't like sort of playing to the kind of a oh, female founder thing because, mm. you know, but you can't help but play to it sometimes is the absolute truth. And, and I, you know, I, I hope I do support women in business. Um, that doesn't mean I don't support men in business, by the way. Um, but I feel, um, I do feel it's a little bit harder for us. And I don't think, and that's not because I think there's lots of people trying to push you back. I think it's more because you've got so much to juggle in your life. You know, mm-hmm. you know, who, who, we're, I'm working, but who's actually going to book the COVID tests for the, the little trip we've got planned? Who's sending the Christmas presents? Who's, yeah. who's organising, you know, who's worrying about the sort of um, the, the door that's now not locking properly and we're about to go away for a week? So I think women have a lot to do on top of their official roles and that's why it can be really hard sometimes to really push yourself forward so you end up working incredibly hard incredibly long hours sometimes against all odds and I was very fortunate I went to a talk last week given by Dr Catherine Green who is one of the AstraZeneca doctors um she was actually in charge of manufacturing and I sometimes think oh gosh you know it's been quite a struggle to grow the business but I listened to her and I thought actually she is an amazing, amazing woman. And what she, you know, she, she's really hilarious. She came from Gravesend, nothing on Gravesend, of course, but, you know, she, she was saying that when she went to Cambridge, so it, getting to Cambridge from Gravesend, that's not easy, guys, for anybody. I and mean, probably it was 20, 30 years ago. She said when she went to Cambridge, people used to say to her, oh, are you Australian? And she'd say, no, it's just the Australian sound on me because all my family are criminals. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, you are one of the most admirable people I've ever met. And then, of course, she got onto the AstraZeneca story and developing the vaccine and how they were just literally working in a basement in Oxford and for very little. And their absolute design, how that team pulled together and persuaded AstraZeneca to produce it free of charge and everything that I thought in the face of what can only be the most extreme diversity. And I honestly think, um, I think about Dr. Catherine Green every day now. And I think, you know, she can do that then anybody can do that. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.